Well, today we're in, a, in the final week of a message series that we've entitled Rooted. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about uh, how you and I can begin to develop deep roots in our own lives. We've talked about how the, the storms of life are coming. You know, you've, you're either just coming out of a storm, uh, you're currently right in the middle of, of one of life's storms, or there's a storm on its way. So we've talked about, the, the question has been, how can we develop the kind of roots that God wants us to have so that we can be firmly planted, so that we can be rooted, we can make it through the storms of life. Remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus reminds his church that in this life we will have trouble. If you attend a church that tells you that you're not going to have trouble, you should get out of Dodge. <laughs> you're going to have trouble in this life. That's part, of, that's part of what we experience in this life. We're going to experience storms, but what God's word teaches us and the truth that we can claim, the promise that we can claim, is that even in the midst of the storm, we can continue to worship God. Even in the midst of the storm, we can have peace in Christ. We can have what's called a new hope, what we talked about last week, because Jesus has overcome the world. Church, Jesus is greater than our troubles. Amen? Amen. Jesus is greater than the storms of life. I believe that God's plan for all of our lives is that we would be rooted in the right kinds of things so that when the storms of life do come, when we experience trials and sorrow and loss and hurt, you fill in the blank. When we experience the storms of life, we'll still be standing when they're over. So what kinds of things should we be rooted in? What should we be focused on as a church? Well, to answer this question, we've looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, specifically verse 13. It says this, Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is loves. You know, church, I believe that these are the kinds of things that God wants his church to be rooted in. And that's because these, these things are not momentary. These are not, they don't last for a week or a month or, or a season. These things last forever. God wants us to be rooted in faith. And that starts with having a faith that's our own. It's, it's a personal and sincere faith. You know, faith becomes our own when you and I make a heartfelt decision to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus with our lives. It's all about having a personal and sincere faith. We've also talked about how we're rooted in faith when our faith is lived out. You know, every single relationship that we have will have uh, both private and public aspects to that relationship. And our relationship with Jesus is no different. When we make a, a private, personal commitment to Christ, it shouldn't stop there. God's word tells us that he wants us to make it public. And we do that by confessing Christ with our mouth, with our words, and by being baptized into Christ through immersion. Having a faith that's lived out, it doesn't stop at our baptism, though. You know, God wants us to, to be kingdom workers in and through the local church so that others would see Christ in us. We talked about last week how sometimes the last thing we need is another church program or another small group. We, we, need, the, we need to be active as a church, serving, praying, giving, so that people will see Christ in us. Well, God also wants us to be rooted in hope. We talked about this last week. And we're rooted in hope when we claim the promise that 
Uh, when we believe in Jesus, when we're in Christ, we no longer have to live with a sense of condemnation in our lives. This is an amazing, amazing promise. You see, when we believe in Jesus and receive his wonderful gift of forgiveness and salvation, we no longer have to live in condemnation. That's what Romans 8 teaches us. But we're also rooted in hope when we claim the promise that um, God's purpose for our lives is greater than our problems. I want you to hear that this morning. God's purpose for our lives, God's purpose for your life is greater than your problems. God is more than able, He is more than able to take all of the individual ingredients of life and make something good. He takes the bitter. He takes the harsh. He takes the hurtful, the loss that we've experienced, and and even the good, and somehow, somehow makes them work together for our good. We serve a good God. And finally, we're rooted in hope when we claim the promise that God is not only with us, He is for us. God is with us when we go through the storms of life. He walks with us through those times. And we said last week that God doesn't necessarily want want us to just get over those things, but instead he wants to walk with us through them. He wants to teach us how to get through the storms of life. But he's also promised to give us everything that we need during those times uh, to, to grow in Christ and to live like Christ. Well, this morning... We're going to talk about, and we're going to wrap our series up by talking about what it means to be rooted in love. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The Apostle Paul tells us that the greatest of these three things is love. The greatest thing that you and I can be rooted in is love. But what does it mean to be rooted in love? You know, if, if faith is our response to the good news of Jesus, both, both privately and publicly, and hope is the attitude that we have and the focus of our faith, then love is the action. And this action always starts with God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21 says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves God is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God gave us his spirit as proof that we will live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we lived like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear, 
because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We love each other because He loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people that we can see, how, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And He has given us this commandment. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And everyone said, well, I have a friend who is a pastor friend, a little bit older than myself, and I started out as an acquaintance, but we actually have a history that goes back uh, probably about 15 years or so. I won't give you that this morning, but uh, I've got a friend. He's a, he's a campus pastor in Oklahoma City of a multi-site church. Uh, they have multiple campuses around the area, and he came up with a one-word definition for what it means to be rooted in love. And I'd like to share that with you this morning. His name is Matt Porter. He says that being rooted in love means living with the roots of your life sunk deep in the love that God has for you. Being rooted in love means living with the roots of your life sunk deep in the love that God has for you. I think this is so appropriate as we begin our study this morning. Uh, The first point that I want to talk about today is that being rooted in love starts with knowing and believing God's love. And the reason it's so small on the screen this morning is if you notice your bulletin, there's a lot to get through today. So we're going to get through this together. Being rooted in love starts with knowing and believing God's love. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we read these words. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And it says this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The Apostle John, he understood and he encouraged the church to live in response to the truth that we are first loved by God. This is absolutely the foundation for being rooted in love and for being able to express real love towards God and towards other people. 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 16, if we go down just a little bit further, it says, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. The, the Apostle John also reminds the church that we can actually know this love that God has for us. We can know this love. You know, when I read this, I think this is, this is so amazing that you and I can know for certain the love that God has for his people. We can know this. How can we know this love? Well, I believe that we can know this love through God's word and through his son. God's word teaches us about Christ's sacrifice. It teaches us about what love is, and God's word also teaches us about what love isn't. You know, we live in a time and a place where the word love is thrown around uh, like it has no meaning, and there's so many definitions in our culture for what love is and what love isn't. God's word communicates God's heart so that we can know God's love. John 3.16, a verse that is probably the most popular verse in the entire New Testament, says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 3 teaches us that God's love is, is a generous love. His love is a sacrificial love. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. In the Old Testament, we're going back a ways. All right, I told someone that I had a lot of content this morning, and they kind of joked about, maybe we should just start in, in Genesis and read all the way to Revelation. And they were just messing around with me. But 
Jeremiah 31, 3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Jeremiah teaches that God's love is eternal. It lasts forever. And you and I can know this love. Church, we can know this love. But it's not enough just to know about God's love. God wants us to believe it in our hearts. And he wants the church to live transformed lives because of it. You know, when we were kids, we would sing the lyrics to a really popular song in church. And uh, I'm going to sing the first line, and then I want some active participation today. I want you to help me out with this, all right? So right when I'm done, just feel free to just belt out the rest of it, all right? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. We know from, from, from a young age that God's Word teaches us about His love. We know the scripture. We know what God's word says about his love. But here's the deal. The hard part for many people, for many Christians, is is not knowing what God's word says about love. The hard part is believing that God loves you individually. Believing that God loves you individually. You know, in this room, there are probably many people who struggle with the truth that God loves you as an individual. It's easy to believe that God loves other people, and it's easy to even tell someone else when they're going through one of life's storms or whatever it is that they're going through, positive or negative, it's easy to say to someone else, God loves you. We tell our kids, we tell our grandkids, we tell our spouse, God loves you. But for some reason, and I'm speaking from experience, for some reason, maybe because of our past, Maybe because of our present, what we're currently going through. Maybe because of the hurts that we have in our life or some of the habits that we have that nobody else knows about. Because of how we view ourselves, it's hard to believe that God could actually love me. I know what what God's Word says. I know that, that He loves you. But it's hard for us to believe that God loves me. We have the head knowledge, but the question this morning is, do we, do we believe it in our hearts that God loves us as individuals? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you're taking notes this morning, these are kind of three sub-points of what we're talking about today. Three truths that we see from Ephesians chapter 5. The first is is that God's word shows us the depth of his love. When we talk about God loving you as an individual, this is where this comes from. God's word shows us the depth of his love. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Hear, Hear that again, church. Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. The giving of himself, it demonstrates the depth of his love. Jesus didn't just come to earth and say, I love you with his words. He could have done that. We could have read it in the Old Testament. We see Jesus in the Old Testament. But God chose to come and and, and live a human life, a sinless human life. And he demonstrated on the cross his love for us. He didn't just say it. He demonstrated it. God's word shows us the depth of his love. The second thing that Paul highlights in Ephesians 5 is that God's word shows us the cost of his love. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. As a fragrant offering. This, This offering that God's word talks about, this cost, 
was himself. It, it wasn't time. It wasn't money. It wasn't energy. This cost was, the, it was his life. It was his life. John 15 verse 13 says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. In this same text, followers of Christ are described as friends of Jesus. This cost was, was for you. Followers of Christ are, are described as friends of Jesus. Jesus paid the ultimate cost for you. The third thing that Paul highlights is the sacrifice. God's word shows us the sacrifice of God's love. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This sacrifice was for you. Jesus came to earth on mission. He came with with a specific mission. And a perfect sacrifice had to be made so that you and I could have a way to be reconciled to God. So that our relationship with, with God could be made whole. You see, God's word teaches us that our sin separates us from God. But Jesus lived a sinless life and he became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And now we can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to God and we can look forward to an eternity with him. We talked about this a little bit last week, having that new hope. When you're in Christ, you're given a new hope. Uh, The Bible calls it an eager hope because we can now look forward to eternity with Christ. There will be a day when we will not experience the storms of life anymore. There will not be any more hurt. There will not be any more trials or pain or suffering or loss. We can have an eager hope of eternity with Christ. You know, a fear that I have today is that we've heard these truths so many times, and even now as we sit in our chairs, that they become numb to us. This is, is, I think, one of the the, the falls of the American church, you could say. That we've heard these things so many times that when they're spoken or read from God's Word, that they no longer affect us. That the greatest truth in the world, the greatest sacrifice that was ever made, no longer affects us. They don't affect us like they used to. But I, I want to challenge you this morning to hear God's Word as if you've never heard this before. I want to challenge you to allow God's word to speak to your heart today. If you struggle with believing that he loves you individually, if you struggle believing that, pray about your struggle. You can be honest with God. You can tell God what's on your mind and what's on your heart. If you're having a bad day, he knows about it, but he wants to hear from you. If you're angry with God, you can tell him about that. You can be honest with God about your struggle. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you through His Word. Ask Him to show up in your life in a new way. Ask Him to help your unbelief. You know, being rooted in love starts by knowing and believing God's love. We can know God's love through His Word and through His Son, but it doesn't just stop there. God wants us to believe it in our hearts. He wants us to live transformed lives because of this amazing truth. Hear this and and receive it today. The second thing I want to talk about is that being rooted in love means that we love God and love people. A lot of churches, um, and rightly so, their, their mission statement for their church is love God and love people. Um, I have some friends that work in a church in, in downtown Oklahoma City. I actually love uh, their, their mission statement or their purpose statement as a church. It's love God, love people, and push back darkness. 
You know, it's this idea of being active as followers of Jesus that um, the war that is waged is not physical. It's a, it's a spiritual war that we know that there's an enemy that's attacking us every single day. And, and the idea that we love God and we love people and we're active in our faith. I love that. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40 says these words. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So let's talk about the first thing. What does it mean to love God? What, what does it mean to love God? We're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And other, other scriptures say, say strength. Well, this is one of the few things, believe it or not, church, this is one of the few things that is a requirement for all believers to love God. And yet it's still, it's still so challenging. This is a requirement that shows up in both the Old Testament and the New. It's part of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that God has with his people. And last week we talked about how um, God causes everything to work together for the good. And a lot of times we stop right there and we celebrate that and we're excited about that. That God, you're able to take whatever it is that's going on in my life and you're, you're able to work it for good. You know, we, we had the, the illustration last week with all the different uh, kitchen uh, ingredients. And man, I needed help with that so bad because I'm so, I'm so bad in the kitchen. Like, it, it, my kids won't even let me make them a grilled cheese. It's that bad. But we, we had that example that no matter what it is that we go through, God's able to work all things together for good. And then a lot of times we stop there, but the verse doesn't stop there. It says, of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. This is an amazing promise, but like we said last week, it's reserved for those who love God. It's reserved for those who are in Christ. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel is, is inclusive, but this promise is exclusive. It's, it's for the individual who loves Christ is in Christ. So how do we love God in the way that we were created to? Again, culture teaches us a lot of different things about love. And I think mostly what, what culture teaches us is that it's a feeling, right? That love's a feeling. That, and if I just don't feel it anymore, then I guess I'm not in love anymore. You know, we see that in, in our marriages, and we see that relationships with our kids, and we see that with friendships, and it's, it's a feeling. That's, that's not what love is. That's not what love is. Matthew 22 gives us the answer. The first thing is that we're called to love God with all our heart. We love God with all our heart. To love God with all our heart is to love God from the inside out. There's a lot of things that we value in this life. There's a lot of things that we even treasure in this life. You know, I I was thinking the other day, someone made the the comment to us um, about a house, or to me, about a house fire that had happened locally. And I was thinking, you know, what would I do if we had a fire at home? You know, and what would I grab? You know, what are the things that I would take with me? And those are typically the things that I tre- treasure. And obviously, it's like my wife and my kids first, but there was, there was kind of a running list of things that I would make sure I got out the door, even if it meant I got hurt a little bit. And, you know, to love God with all of our heart means that God is our greatest treasure. When we love God with all our heart, our, our relationship with Jesus is valued over everything else that we have in this life. It's more valuable than our career. And I would say this, too, that as we advance in career, sometimes uh, things like promotions and, and more money can seem like a blessing. But I would also say that sometimes those can also be uh, maybe a curse. You know, that when we make decisions to advance in different areas in, in our lives, that those, those areas should be dictated through prayer and, and how God is leading us. That God should come before our career. 
God's more valuable than our, our possessions. I've got a lot of things that I would take with me in a house fire. But God's more valuable than those. He's more valuable even than our earthly relationships. And I think this is where a lot of people just stumble with this. I know I wrestle with this so much. that The idea that our love for God should be so great that it makes the love that we have for other people look like, like hate. Not hate in the sense that you know, I hate you, but our love for God should be so great. It should be so overflowing in our lives that he is valued more than anything else in our lives. To love God with all our heart means that God takes absolute priority in our lives. Second, we love God with all our soul. We love God with all our soul. You know, th- this can become confusing very quickly. You know, when you look at, I don't typically go to the dictionary for things, but uh, I, I did in this case. I wanted to see what does the dictionary say about the word soul? Because again, just like, uh, just like other things that we see in culture, like the word love, and the, our culture tends to have its own definition for the word soul. And this is what the dictionary says. It's the immaterial essence or actuating cause of an individual life. I don't, I don't use words like that. <laughs> I just don't. I'm from Oklahoma. I'm a southern boy. It just doesn't happen. I say y'all and that, you know, just it, it's over my head. So the second thing it says is a person's total self. That's probably more in line with what Scripture teaches. Um, also, it says the moral and emotional nature of human beings. Again, th- these things are kind of over my head, but I was reading this week. Many of you will be familiar with Pastor John Ortberg. Um, he's a pastor. He's an author. Uh, he's done some great work. And he gives a definition and a personal description of what the human soul is. I think this is great. This, I believe it goes right along with what Scripture teaches, and it helps us understand, uh, you know, on an on a Oklahoma boy level. So I can understand this. It says, your soul is what integrates your will, which is your intentions in life, your mind, which is your thoughts, feelings, values, and conscience, and your body, um, your face, body language, and actions into a single life. So your soul is what integrates your will, your mind, and your body into a single life. A soul is healthy and well-ordered when there is harmony between these three entities and God's intent for all creation. When you're connected with God and other people in life, you have a healthy soul. So when you and I love God with our soul, we love God with all that we are. This is, this is our will, our attitudes, our intentions, um, you know, I've been I've been guilty of this in the past. I I'll show up to places with a with a motive in mind. Maybe that's showing up to church, knowing in the back of my mind that I'm going to have a poor attitude before I even get there. You know, I think ahead sometimes. What what are the songs going to be in service, or is the message going to speak to me, or you know, uh, we'll go on vacation, and I think ahead to the destinations that, that we're going to, and I, I, I kind of judge those things before we even get there, you know, is it going to be raining? I remember when we went to, to Florida last year, um, we, we stressed for like a month because the forecast was saying rain. Well, friends, it rains every day in Florida, <laughs> and, and sure enough, we get there, and the weather said rain every day, and it rained a little bit, you know, every day, but we had sun too, and the point is that we love God with our will. It's, it's our attitudes. It's our intentions, our emotions, our thoughts, feelings, and our body. To love God with all our soul is to love God with all that we are. Does God take priority in your life in that, in that area? The third thing is that we love God with all our mind. We love God with all our mind. Most theologians agree that to love God with all of our mind is to love God with, with all of our reason and intellect. Again, we live in a culture that teaches vocally that when a person has a personal faith in Jesus, that when you believe in God, 
You have to give up your desire to pursue knowledge, that somehow they're two separate things. Church, I would argue that and say that church, that, that God's word teaches the exact opposite. When we love God with all our mind, we simply shift the focus of our pursuit of knowledge towards things that are helpful in our lives and beneficial for other people. We, we study and learn God's word individually and together. We, we pray. We, we control our thought life so that what we think about is honoring and pleasing to God and is helpful for our spiritual growth. We watch our tongue. We, we watch what we say. We're mindful about those things so that we can accurately represent Christ. You know, you can, uh, your tongue can either give death or life. You can speak truth or a lie. How we use our tongue is so important. And instead of focusing our mind on what the world's trying to, to tell us and, and how the world's trying to defeat and discourage us, we focus on a God who loves us and cares about every single part of our lives. We love God with our minds. Is what you're thinking about honoring to God? Is how you're talking honoring to God? Is how you're learning and growing, does that honor God in your life? It should, and we can get on track today. You know, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind is, is the greatest commandment. We, it's to love God with our entire selves. Now, again, that, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. Nobody is, but that we rely on God's strength and his power in our, in our lives. Remember, where, where we're weak, he is strong. We talked about in our parenting series that no parent is perfect, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan and a purpose for our lives to parent in the way that he's called us to parent. You know, too, I think about having kids now, and there's things I've done in my past that I've messed up. I've messed up big time. That doesn't mean that now, as a parent, I can't teach them truth. My past mistakes don't disqualify me from teaching them truth now. Just because we have a, some baggage in our past or hurt rela- broken relationships, just because we have sin in our lives, it doesn't mean that we can't ask God to help us love him with all that we are today. We love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But God says that there's something else that's equally as important. And I, I get hung up on this because I think, well, obviously loving God is the most important thing in life, right? It's absolutely the most important thing. But Scripture teaches us in Matthew 22 that there is something that is equally as important. It's not second place. It's not just slightly less important. God's Word says that it's equally as important, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. As Christians, we're called to love people. That's our calling. It's a general calling that we have. So what does it mean to love people? Well, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love starts with God because God is love. The Bible teaches that we're able to love God and love others because God first loved us. Again, love is not not a feeling, not in this case. Love is an action. Love is a choice that we have every single day. I choose to, to wake up and love my spouse the way that God's called me to love her. I choose to wake up and love the church, even when it's difficult. <laughs> I choose those things. As we look to God's word, we see that Jesus is our perfect example of what love is and, and what love does. You know, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, verse 13 is kind of the main text, but if you go back and read the whole chapter, It says, love is patient. Love is kind. And I would say that a better way to read that is um, love practices patience. Love 
uh, practices kindness. It, it does. Love is not necessary. love is. It's love does. And that's because Jesus is our greatest example of what love does. We don't have to come up with our own definition for how to love other people. We simply have to look at the life of Jesus and do what he does. So two practical ways this morning that we can love people, and then I'll begin to wrap our time up pretty quickly here. These are two things that God laid on my heart this week. They're kind of unconventional, but the first is this. Love people over progress. Love people over progress. You know, we we live in a world that promotes progress at the expense of people. A couple examples this morning. You know, I worked for a, a site utility company as a commercial construction estimator for about three years. Say that three times fast. <laughs> I didn't work out in the field, so my job wasn't as labor-intensive. It wasn't as physically demanding as some of the other uh, jobs like laying pipe or running heavy machinery. Uh, I worked in an office. It was, it was warm. It was cozy. But working in the office, I heard a lot of stories about other companies, uh, maybe competing companies, who, who like to cut corners on, on the job site. And maybe, maybe you've dealt with some of this in your life. Here, some of the things that they would do, they would use cheaper product, they would use less gravel backfill over the pipe, which was technically illegal, but they just covered it up so they would save money. And the thing that irritated me the most, I had friends and uh, people that worked in other companies that they would be sent on long-distance runs to go and work for a few days, and then their companies wouldn't reimburse them for the gas that it you know, took to get there. The point is, is, just to save a buck, company owners would put progress before people. You know, we say in our culture that it's, you know, business, it's all about the money. It's all, you know what? As a Christian, it's all about the people. It's all about our relationship with Jesus. I don't care if you, you have your own business or, you know, whatever it is. People should come before progress 100% of the time. The second thing is it's also common in our culture for families to work multiple jobs and a, a ton of extra hours just to pay for the ideal lifestyle that we have in the back of our, our minds. Now, I understand that there are many families who have to work extra to make ends meet. They have to do this. But I also know firsthand a lot of families that live well above their means. And as a result, they're working themselves into the grave. And the ones who are, are, are hurting from this are their kids. The ones who are suffering from this are their kids. I want to say this this morning, that parents, no matter what age you are, we, we will never get that time back. We will never get that time back. That's putting progress before people. And in this case, before our kids. Third thing is just some common everyday ways that we put progress before people or things, you know, you might laugh at this, maybe not, but I think it's a big deal. You know, we, we take the open spot at Walmart when someone else was waiting for a long time first. <laughs> you know, we kind of cut in there. I know you've done it before. What about trampling people on Black Friday just so that we can buy something that's eventually going to find its way into the trash? And then this, is, this one irritates me the most. What about shortchanging our server's tip so that we can save a buck? Hear this. Sundays are our restaurant server's least favorite day to work because notoriously Christians are the very worst tippers. It's just the truth. There's data out there for it. You can check me on it. <laughs> they, they hate working on Sundays. And I want to say this. You know, if, if you go out and eat after church, be generous. We're called to be generous. And, and that's one way that we put progress before people. We should be proactive about putting people before progress. This, this is true in the church world as well. You know, when we cast new vision as, as, as a church leadership, when we finalize budgets, you know, we're about to do that here in the next week. When we lead ministries, we should do so with people in mind. We should care about people more than progress because caring for people is the best kind of progress. 
That is the best kind of progress. The last thing is that we should love people when they're at their worst. And this is what I want to end us with today. We should love people when they're at their worst. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. It was while we were at our absolute worst that Christ died for us. And in doing so, he demonstrated what the Bible says is real love. This is what real love is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Church, hear this this morning. I, I believe this is so true. The, the true test of loving other people is learning how to love them at their worst and when they're the hardest to love. It's not when they're the easiest to love. It's when they're the hardest to love. It's learning how to love difficult people. And I think this is the hardest. Learning to love people when they're the hardest is, is when they disagree with you. Maybe that's in your family or a sibling or maybe it's a, a theological issue. It's loving people when they're the hardest to love is when they have a poor attitude. Maybe you know someone that just has a poor attitude all the time. They just have no joy in their life. Well, loving them when it's the hardest is when they have a poor attitude. What about when they wrong or hurt you in some way? And that's usually verbal. And nowadays, because of social media, sometimes that's on Facebook or, or Twitter or maybe it's through your inbox, whatever it is. But loving people when they're the hardest to love. How about loving people when they live contrary to how you think they should live? When they dress differently, when they talk differently, when they look differently. We should love people when they're at their worst because Jesus loved us when we were at our worst. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to end with this scripture. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's by this that everyone will know that you are a disciple of Jesus if you love people. Being rooted in love starts with knowing and believing God's love. We know it through his word and through what his son sacrificed on the cross, but we believe it in our hearts. And being rooted in love means that we love God and we love people. He's our greatest example for how to love. Church, let's be, let's be a people who are rooted in love today.